we know that you wanted to be at the Fight Laugh Feast Conference, but you can't come all the days. We have a day pass where you can come on Saturday where you get to hear great speakers like Pastor Doug Wilson, Pastor Jared Longshore, Pastor Toby Sumter, Cross Politics Live Show with Jason Woodlock and Megan Basham. Join us for the Sabbath Feast where we get to laugh with comedian John Brannion all for the low, low price of $99. Sign up for the day pass, flfnetwork.com. Looking forward to seeing you there at the conference. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politics. It's Friday. <laughs> the week is over. No matter what it feels like. No matter what it feels like, it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Toby, Chalk Knocks, I'm the water boy. We got Michael Ward. In the house. In the house. At least via Planet Zoom. Narnia. Yeah, look at that. If you I, guys had read Planet I, Narnia, I brought, what's your problem? I brought my two Michael Ward books. I know, I, there's, I know there's more than yeah. that, but I, I brought them just... I, I doubt your faith. <laughs> In wow. the be- in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word didn't stay in heaven. The Word became Ooh. flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth became flesh. The Word became flesh. The story of God's grace became flesh, and that and it is that Word, that mm. truth, that story that will fill this world with God's grace. And truth. That's why this year's Fight Laugh Feast conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, is on lies, propaganda, storytelling, and the serrated edge. Huge. The word is a sword. The word is our glory. So join us October 6th through the 8th as we fight, laugh, and feast in Knoxville, Tennessee with beer and psalms Thursday night. Speakers including Pastor Doug Wilson, mm. George Gilder, Ben Merkel, Jared Longshore. I'll be giving a talk or two. Chocolate Knox will be doing a roundtable with the Wilsons and Merkels on why stories are so potent for building family cultures that win. All culminating in a live show with Megan Basham and Jason Whitlock talking lies and journalism. And we just announced, don't forget, a one-day Saturday-only pass for just $99. So if you can't make the whole weekend, you can buy the Saturday-only pass. Come join us for that day. Find out more and register or become a vendor at FightLaughFeast.com. Dot com. We're very grateful to have with us uh, today Dr. Michael Ward. He's associate member of the Faculty of Theology and Religion at the University of Oxford and professor of apologetics at Houston Baptist University, Texas. Got a little, little, know, little soundtrack for him? No, that, no, no. That's no, okay. real. That's Splash. Real. He's also the author of a number of books, including After Humanity, A Guide to C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man, and Planet Narnia. The Seven yeah. Heavens in the Imagination of C.S. Lewis. Dr. Ward, thank you for joining us on Cross Politic. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. I'm very pleased to be with you. I'm speaking to you from Hillsdale College, Michigan. Oh, I'm yeah. Giving a short talk. Yeah, so I'm not. I'm normally living in Oxford, England, but right. today I'm on your side of the Atlantic. Wonderful. Well, great to have you over. Welcome. Yes. In uh, welcome to the motherland. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this is not. That's never, not how we no, want to start no, off. Never mind. <laughs> um, Doctor Ward, in in Planet Narnia, you argue that C.S. Lewis crafted the Seven Chronicles with a secret theme. Each of the Seven Chronicles themed to one of the seven planets, and I want to start by just asking you: So what? I mean, it is, it, and, that, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but just is, is that is that just an interesting literary feature or did Lewis mean something more by it? And should it impact our lives? Well, it is an interesting literary feature and you can just approach it as a sort of intellectual game, you might say, or a, a sort of artistic design and leave it at that. 
But I think there are much more important and significant, even rather theologically profound reasons why Lewis did this. And, and, that, and that has to do with the fact that when he was not a Christian, he looked at this universe, the real world, and he saw it full of suffering and, and chaos and accidents and inexplicable events. And, um, and asked, how can anyone possibly believe that there's a wise and governing creative hand behind all the vagaries and vicissitudes of this sublunary realm? And then he became a Christian and he, he acquired a totally different perspective. And he came to believe with St. Paul that all things work together for good for those who love God doesn't mean that there is no suffering and there aren't accidents and there isn't a, a degree of, of uh, chaos and sin in this world, only that in large part we are responsible for this mess that we find ourselves in and in larger part God is working to redeem it and, and bring good out of suffering and good out of evil and working towards the the uh, redemption of all things in the in the in the in the last times in the on the fi- on the last day when when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Michael, um, I'm one of those guys who uh, gets confused between cosmology and cosmetology. <laughs> um, wow, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably right. So, he's probably right. So uh, you know, could you but you know help me a little bit? Uh, you know, it involves a little summary here, but maybe help me a little bit, maybe understand the planets in relationship to Narnia. Yeah, well, I like your pun, cosmology and cosmetology. I mean, they come from the same root, a Greek root, cosm, which is a verb meaning to organize and to structure and to arrange. Um, so uh, a, a cos, when you apply cosmetics to your face, you're bringing out the, the structure and pattern of your features. You're downplaying certain things and highlighting other things in order to make your face seem more attractive and more itself. Um, And a cosmologist looking at the universe, likewise, applies his intelligence Mm. to bring out certain features of reality and and so so that we can grasp it and understand it and work out its intelligibility. Um, Now, when it comes to Narnia, um, on the face of it, Narnia looks a little bit random. And, and Tolkien, Lewis's great friend, was the first person to point out that there seems to be not much obvious design and, and coherence to the, the presentation of the Narnian world in that it's got all sorts of different mythological and literary traditions um, being fed into it. And Tolkien didn't think this was very organized and, and rigorous. Um, and I think Lewis was content for there to be an appearance of, of a mishmash or a hodgepodge because that corresponds to the appearance that there is in this real world, in the in the mm-hmm. primary world, that mm-hmm. things are chaotic and you know we it's hard to understand what's holding things together. But he, Lewis, to Narnia was, uh, as it were, the creator, the the author of everything, just as God is is the author of all in the real world. And Lewis knew that despite appearances to the contrary, in reality he was working out his Narnian chronicles. To, to a very sophisticated design and working to a very um, sophisticated imaginative blueprint, which connects to the seven heavens of mm-hmm. the medieval cosmos, which, of course, Lewis, as a medieval scholar, knew all about. I wonder if, you know, one of the things that when I was reading through your book, Planet Narnia, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia um, was... Um, 
uh, the line of winter wardrobe, excuse me, what was connected to Jupiter. Now, um, in the in the order of the planets, isn't Jupiter a number one and closest to the sun? Correct. No, no, actually, no. <laughs> is it no? Where, where is it? You got your makeup in the wrong place. Okay, where where, where is Jupiter? Where is Jupiter in order of the of the? You can correct me right now. Where, where is Jupiter in order of the sun in the planets? Well, according to the medieval cosmos, uh, Jupiter is the sixth of the seven planets. Okay, uh, and, and, and and that's what struck me was it, it, it. Okay, I got the order wrong, but you know, um, uh, line of the witch and wardrobe was was number three, right? Or number four? And I'm getting all, I'm getting all <laughs> my order wrong. One? No. One. I just yeah, said but one. not. But there was stories before Line and the Witch and Wardrobe that connected the Line and the Witch and Wardrobe, right? Well, they were written afterwards. Yeah, I, I understand the that. The Witch- I, yeah, the, I, I understand that. But to me, it seems that there's an order still, even though I know I understand that there was books written after, but those were stories preceding Line and the Witch and Wardrobe. And just kind of wondering if there's like an order thing that Lewis was doing here um, in all of it. Does, does my question, my confused question make sense? Yes. The answer is that when Lewis began writing the Narnia books, he only had one book in mind. He didn't have all seven mapped mm. out ahead of time. Mm. He wanted to write, I believe, he wanted to write a Jupiter-themed book, jovial book, mm-hmm. because Jupiter was the best planet. Jupiter was the planet that he thought was especially in need of being imaginatively rehabilitated in the 20th century, mm-hmm. which was far too dominated by Saturn, mm-hmm. uh, Saturn associated with disaster. And also, of course, Jupiter being the kingly planet, that's the, the, the main quality of the, the jovial influence, kingship, mm-hmm. magnanimity, um, and indeed sacrifice and the forgiving of guilt. Jupiter very naturally disposes itself uh, as a symbol for representing the heart of the Christian gospel. Hmm. Because as spoke in one of his poems, Jupiter brings about winter past and guilt forgiven. And so in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you have the, the passing of the white witch's 100 year winter, and you have the forgiving of Edmund's guilt, all brought about by Aslan, who is the king of the beasts. He's the king of the wood. And all the children, as they, grow into relationship with Aslan, become kings and queens themselves. So that's the jovially themed book. And having written one, Lewis then thought to himself, evidently, I enjoyed that. Let's try it again. Yeah. And then again. And eventually he decided he would do all seven planets uh, and and construct a chronicle around each one. Dr. Ward, you know, this is really interesting to me. This is fascinating. For the first time, I'm actually... Um, I didn't grow up with Chronicles of Narnia or uh, I didn't grow up with these books. I didn't even grow up reading any of C.S. Lewis. He was something that was a force in the nature that just that's never bled into my world. So when you start talking about Lewis um, and I just started reading Lewis and I started understanding this cosmology thing, I'm new to this whole idea. So when you talk about a planet having some sort of impact on us (laughs) in our society, that is foreign to a large majority of our culture, especially Christian Christian culture. Do I guess there's two questions here. Is our what is our current cosmology? And then that cosmology that Lewis had, why is it important that we actually resurrect that again? Yeah, well, good question. There's a lot in there. And um, you know, I think in modern 
in the modern perception, the stars and the planets are just large balls of of rock and gas floating yeah. above our heads. Yep. And they're prepared to be understood purely in a materialistic kind of way. And you can ask, you know, what, what they're made of and how big they are and how fast they move and how far away they are. You can ask all those quantitative questions that a scientist typically wants to ask. But more qualitative questions like, why have they been made and who made them and for whom were they made and why are they different from each other and so on those those sorts of questions don't fall within the domain of of the natural sciences uh, they they are more spiritual artistic religious moral um and i think cs lewis was trying as it were to reconnect the, the those two sets of questions the qualitative mm. and the quantitative and there's no reason why you need to just be b- boldly and blankly um scientific in your approach to to the natural world you can also ask these questions of, of value um so when you come to the the the, the, the degree to which the, uh, the the planets have influences and affect us on earth well I mean, nobody can deny that the sun, at least, has mm. a profound effect upon our, ourselves. You know, we wouldn't be alive mm-hmm. if it weren't for the sun. You know, the sun's warmth and the sun's light is what enables life on Earth. We are totally dependent upon the sun. Um, and when it comes to the moon, you know, the moon affects our tides. Mm-hmm. When the moon is full and bright at night, you can you can travel, you can hunt by night. Um, you know, there are literally observable effects of the sun and the moon upon us now admittedly it's less obvious how the other planets might affect us but once you've granted it in principle you can see how the human imagination wanting to find meaning in the universe begins to to look at the the other planets and and begins to ask well why are they as they are you know why is for instance why does mercury move so rapidly between you know uh, along the night sky Maybe it's moving rapidly because it's young and energetic. Maybe it's carrying messages from one part of the heavens to the other. Maybe it's shuttling back and forth with trade. And so the qualities of Mercury to do with messaging and and, uh, commerce and so on, they gradually accumulated around what was observable in the night sky. And, you know, that's just a function of of the human imagination. But it also speaks, in Lewis's view, to something much more spiritual, that God, the, the, the ultimate designer, the ultimate creator, makes nothing in vain. And as the scriptures tell us, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Mm-hmm. The firmament proclaims his handiwork, you know, Psalm 19. Um, stars are not just large balls of rock and gas. The stars are, in fact, telling the glory of God. You know, you, you keep doing this thing where um, you talk about, um, I've, I've heard it before, lunar. So you kind of get the, the lunatic from that. And But all the, these seven planets all have a personality. Could you kind of give a, a quick survey of the personality of these seven planets? Because I don't think that people are familiar with that. And how do they, how do, <laughs> how do you give them these personalities? Yeah, well, first of all, we just need to list them. And the best way to remember them is in connection with the days of the week, because, of course, the seven days Mm. of the week are related to the seven planets. So, you know, Saturday is obviously Saturn day, 
Sunday and Monday are obviously the sun and the moon yep. day. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's better if you think in Spanish or French. So Tuesday is Martes or Mardi, Spanish and French, the Mars day. Yep. Wednesday is Miercoles or Mercredi, Mercury day. Yep. Th Thursday is Jueves or Jeudi, Jove's day, Jupiter's day. And Friday is uh, Viennes or Vendredi, Venus's day. So those are the seven planets because it was it was thought that the sun and the moon were planets back mm -hmm. in the in, in the pre-Copernican times, and they hadn't discovered Uranus or Neptune or Plato or Pluto, um, Plato. <laughs> 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 uh, so what were their characteristics? Well, the sun, of course, being golden, was associated with wealth and and uh, plenitude and uh, wisdom. The moon. Was associated with silver mm. uh, and also with changeability because the moon waxes and wanes and moves about a lot and so it was associated with instability and wandering of, of the wits so hence lunacy yeah. becoming a lunatic under the influence of the moon and interestingly i mean think again of the think of the bible in the psalms we we read that the sun shall not hurt you by day nor the moon by night now how could the moon hurt you by night you know, it's part of the biblical imagination, too, that the, the moon might have an adverse effect upon you. Hmm. And in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is healing the crowds, uh, on two occasions, we're told in the Greek original that he's healing those who have been selenized, those who are under the influence of selene. Um, and selene is another name for the, 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 the lunar goddess, if you like. Hmm. Um, that's, he's healing them of their lunacy. Um, and then, well, Mercury is associated, as I mentioned, with messaging and right. trade and language. Um, Venus is associated with love. And think of the think of the word venerate to lovingly respect someone. Mm. You venerate under the influence of Venus. You know, it's there in the language. It still lingers. Mm. Think of Mars. You know, think of martial arts. Um, arts in which you fight judo and boxing and all the rest you know mars is the god of war um and what are we left with saturn saturn is associated with old age and death and disaster and a lot of negative qualities um and jupiter as i mentioned is associated with kingship yeah um <laughs> That's amazing. There you go. There you <laughs> Thank go. you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank uh, you. So, uh, Dr. Ward, in, in October, actually, next month, I'm, we're, we're doing a conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and I'm going to be giving a talk called The Real World, Narnia versus Game of Thrones. And I just wanted, I, I just, you know, truth be told, I asked Gabe to get, get you on the show because <laughs> I was hoping that you could help me write my talk. But, but I, um, I guess what I I'm, what I'm actually want to ask you is, why, I don't know if you are familiar with Game of Thrones at all or not, but like, why are Game of Thrones type shows so popular with the modern imagination? And, you know, um, why, um, I don't know, and maybe, and why have we uh, sort of uh, used the, the foreign uh, sort of Darwinian cosmology embedded in those? Um, uh, what have we, have we done the same thing even in our modern film adaptations of Narnia? Well, I think these these fantasy stories and sagas are, are popular just because, you know, human beings are 
fundamentally imaginative creatures. We want to find meaning in in our existence, and so we tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's we're, we're sometimes our species is sometimes called Homo sapiens, the, the, the wise man, or Homo adorans, the worshipping man. Um, I've I've heard also the term Homo narans. I think it is the the storytelling creature. Um, it's part of our nature. And, and why? Well, I mean, Tolkien was very strong on this. Tolkien had this whole theory of sub-creation, that mm-hmm. because we have been made in the image of God, and God is a creator, therefore part of the image that we bear is that of a creator, but obviously in a in a subsidiary mode, because we can't create out of nothing. We can't create ex nihilo. We can only, as it were, rearrange things that that we're already somehow acquainted with. Um, and so it's it's a really important part of, of expressing our humanity to tell, tell, to tell stories. And of course, those stories can be better or worse, depending upon our own spiritual wisdom and moral formation. And not, I'm not actually familiar with Game of Thrones. I've never watched it, though I've, I know a bit about it from, you know, the, the press and so on, and people I know who've watched it. And it seems to me that Game of Thrones is is a is a slightly you know unedifying story, um, whereas you know Narnia and the middle Narnia and Lord of the Rings is very edifying, very brilliant, you know top notch kind of Christian fantasy in the best sense. And maybe Harry Potter is somewhere between the two. Okay, I've just been reading Harry Potter, and I think it's pretty good, but it's a long way short of Narnia and Middle Earth. Do you, do you, can you, um, maybe given what you know, even if it's, it's sort of vague, it is, um, I, I'm assuming that there is, I, I believe there is a, a radically different cosmology though behind, um, uh, the storytelling that you're going to find in a, a Game of Thrones like world and, um, and, and a very different cosmology at work in Narnia and Lord of the Rings. And, you know, and, and maybe again, Harry Potter, I, I think it's fair to say maybe there's something of a, uh, a blending of, of a, a modern cosmology with medieval cosmology. Um, it, it, do, do you see that? Uh, and maybe if, if, could you tease any of that out? Well, yeah, they obviously you bring to your storytelling uh, activity, your beliefs and your values. And so, you know, if. I mean, I don't know enough about George R. R. Martin to say, but if indeed he's he's got a slightly Darwinian um, worldview, then that will obviously play play out in his in his in his storytelling. And likewise, you know, another example from my side of the Atlantic, uh, Philip Pullman. Yeah, you know, he's a, an atheist, and he's very deliberately tried to uh, imbue his magical world with with an atheistical message, um, which in some ways is <laughs> very uh, ironic because, you know, the, the whole sort of thrust of, of, a, of a fantasy world is, is to uh, allow for the, the, uh, the interaction of a transcendent realm, you know, the magical world of wizards and, and sorcerers and transcendent powers with, with the more regular world, and so if 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 an atheist is wanting to you know produce a story in that genre 
but simultaneously is wanting to, to deny right. the presence of, of the transcendent, it's sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. It doesn't really he, he ought to yeah. ought to just throw a bunch of words in a blender. And it's like, see, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Shake it all together. See, see what comes yeah. out. Yeah. Um, okay, I've, I've got to read this before our time is out. It says, trigger warning. If you're not comfortable with God's mandate to fill and subdue the world through fruitful households headed by masculine men, press mute now. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this, you know it's hard to find anyone who shares your convictions on marriage and culture, so it's hard to find anyone to marry. Dominion Dating is solving that problem. <laughs> Why do you do that? It's incredible. <laughs> We're the only dating site that vets users for their commitment to biblical gendered piety. Our Ooh. The free beta uh, opens in September. It should be alpha. Uh, free, free alpha. <laughs> Join the marriage reformation at www.dominion.dating. I just love doing that. I just like to hear your voice like that. That's that, incredible. That, that hey, really scares me. Hey, Dr. Ward, I just have to ask, man. I'm in the cage stage of, I think, the medieval mind right now in C.S. Lewis and <laughs> <laughs> cosmology. And so every time I'm going, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've missed out on so much because I haven't been seeing how the world truly operates. You know, and so uh, I feel like I've had a broken cosmology. I'm getting it put back together. And and I feel like that um, everyone else is is where I was. We were all broken. What is it that you can do or give to us to help us kind of realign that cosmology um, in a more biblical way? Because I think that even our cosmology is influencing some of our theology. I know it was mine. I could see that. How do you rebuild that and give us back a biblical cosmology so that we can see the world as, as, as it actually is? In 10 words or less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very deep searching question. Uh, and one of the ways we can do it is by reading the works of great Christian poets. And I use that word mm. poet there in the large possible sense, like Lewis and Tolkien, um, who very consciously and deliberately are trying to re-enchant the universe, yeah. you know, and trying to overcome the effects of the last two or 300 years, which, which has drained so much of the spiritual significance from the cosmos. And they, being great thinkers and indeed great artists, um, in all sorts of helpful ways, which we hardly even know we need. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons why their works are so fantastically popular, even amongst non-Christians. Um, because we're just crying out for a, a value-laden world, which is more than just mm. atom emotion. We want spiritual significance. We, we want love. We want to see that the heavens are indeed telling the glory of God. They're not just large balls of rock and gas floating above our heads. Um, and so I, I, I can make no better recommendation than just to read and, and think about Narnia and Middle-earth. I think they are fantastically health-giving works of art. Hmm. You know, And your books, one, all, all your books. And the last one, one of your books. <laughs> one of the reasons why I like Narnia so much because it's like candy in a lot of ways where it's really easy for my kids to just like get and, into it. But it's like candy vitamins. It's, it's the beginning. A, <laughs> it's like the beginning of like a big piece of candy that yeah, you're, you're yeah. getting to enjoy. And then all of a sudden yeah. you, there's so much complexity beyond right. that that you kind of right. get into. It, but, but it's a great entrance point for right. even my kids who are, right. you know, four, six, and eight yeah. back in the day when they started doing yeah. Hey, Dr. Ward, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your work and everything you're doing, brother. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until Monday, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. This was our recap show for the whole week. Hey, that was good. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was good. It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger. When tyrants take over, what's the first thing they do? Disarm. It happened in Russia, China, Germany, and most recently, Afghanistan. Why? Because disarmed people are easier to control. And over the last century and a half, American tyrants have been carrying out a slow, methodical disarmament that no one is talking about. State education. Tyrants know that education is warfare. Our rulers have a vested interest in making you totally harmless. They've got big plans and they don't want you getting in the way. Think about it. Would you rather fight an army decked out with high-powered rifles or a bunch of dinky water pistols? They know that if you can think critically, you're a threat. At New St. Andrews College, we want to graduate men and women who are dangerous. Dangerous to the world, dangerous to the principalities and powers, dangerous to spiritual wickedness in high places. Education can either arm you or disarm you. It can make you a threat or make you a useful idiot. <laughs> so, where you get that education counts. Click the link to apply to New St. Andrews College today. Home, it's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy.